Welcome to Roll with Adventure, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination. From our world to the far off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and of course, magic. We are delighted to bring you this adventure from our imagination to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us and this podcast, please visit us at rollwithadventure.com. And now let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. This tale of salt and blood begins on an innocuous day, one that started much like any other, one fine Murgus Dam, in the month of Talisenum, the 25th to be exact. The 25th of Talisenum in the year 1069 PR, it was a date that would forever be burned into the minds of a select few. One that would start a series of events that would perhaps shape the world of Ypres for decades to come. But that is the future. That is not now. And the future belongs to the Triadrian gods, and those few mortals favored by fate. The 25th of Talisenum dawned much like any other day upon the denizens of the small town of Waltown, located on the southeastern coast of the island of Merstwall. Some few hundred rather large nautical units of measurement from the southwestern coast of the Republic of Talren, near the southern tip of the continent of Aventai, or more easily understood, an approximately 50-day trip by sea without any chance of land in sight. Why, you might ask, would anyone live so far from the civilized lands of the continent of Aventai? How could anyone not want to be on its blissful shores? surrounded by the rugged and constantly warring trolted fjords of the north, the blissful yet sickeningly decadent peace lands of central Aventai, or the tense southern lands teetering on the edge of constant all-out war. Well, it isn't exactly by choice. You see, Walltown and the larger island of Merstwall as a whole is populated by two distinct groups of people. The first, and larger of the groups, is comprised of past convicts of Vesican prison, exiled from the Republic of Talren to live out sentences on this Triadrian-forsaken island. Sentences of three to five years filled with intense, painful, and backbreaking prison labor that end with the glimmer of hope that once they have served, the prisoner will be granted penal colonist status and have the chance to eke out a life on Merstwall of their own. Some see this as damnation, others salvation. A chance to build their own life away from the pressures of past obligations and the constraints of their lives. In fact, many of those who end up in Merstwall should they survive the work in its labor camps. Mining for precious stones and metals in deep, cold shafts cut into the very surface of the island. Felling trees in the logging camps. Trees that have stood for hundreds, if not thousands of years, only to be shipped across the beautiful Crystalm Sea for wealthy patrons in Talren. Tilling the fields of the prison farm, braving the scalding waters of the prison laundry. 
or hauling nets and giving fish on the prison fleet. Surviving through this gives a chance to Benny from Talren they never would have. It gives them a chance to own property, to build their own future. And so long as they avoid breaking the laws, to live a rather peaceful and provincial life. The much smaller group that calls Merstwall home, at least for five years before they return to the mainland of Aventai for redeployment, are the rat soldiers sent to guard the prison and ensure the peace. Yes, you heard that right. Rat soldiers. R-A-T. Of course, standing for Republic Army of Talren soldiers, or its more common name on official documents, the Army of the Grand Republic of Talren, but the AOTGROT or Aotgrot was a bit much for the recruitment flyer circulated during the recent, if you can call 12 years ago recent, victorious war against the Kingdom of Aberanth, and the seemingly never ending war with the bright elves of the Oscarul Woodsea that has been waging for at least the past 300 years. Most soldiers, they view assignment to Merstwall as one of the worst punishments they can be assigned. It is a post that many would rather volunteer to lead the charge than be assigned to. This is mostly due to the reputation that precedes Warden Aulus Tolero Gracilis, the warden who has overseen the island of Merstwall for the past 15 years. She is a cold mistress, a harsh commander, who, it is rumored, was assigned to Merstwall as a means for the Senate to remove a rising and dangerous member of the Talren military before any attempted military coup could be held. But who would listen to such rumors? The veracity cannot be confirmed. But it is known that the warden Gracilis's fervor for punishment certainly also knows no bounds. And her temper has been known to not differentiate between inmate, penal colonist, and guard, should it be required. Ah, the warden. Such an interesting individual. But you'll meet her soon enough. Where were we? Hmm. Ah, yes. On Merstwall. Yes, it is a penal colony. It is used by Talren as a dumping ground for criminals, but not the worst ones. Those are executed to keep some semblance of peace and stability. Talren itself is a conquering nation. It recently conquered Amaranth, killed their king, and put a puppet on its throne, and have been calling it a quote-unquote protectorate of Talren. Oh, I wasn't supposed to tell you that yet. Well, that's a shame. But let us continue on. As mentioned earlier, our story begins in the month of Talisenum, so named for the god Talon, a member of the Triadrian pantheon known for the being the god of war. A patron to mercenary, soldier, and all manner of warrior alike, he is a god of improvement, of testing one's limits, as much as he is a god of bloodshed and battle. Across Aventai, throughout the month of Talisenum, the Festival of Bloodsport is held. It is a contest of strength, endurance, and skill, held over many days in many different forms, never held the same from community to community. In some, young men and women compete in mock battles, while in others they compete in various tests of skill for the amusement of those around them. 
earning medals and being scored through esoteric systems onlookers truly cannot comprehend. But here on Merstwall, the month of Telecenum is a special month. It is the month in which would-be contenders will take to the pits to scrape out their standing in the local fist-fighting community. Throughout the month, each contender fights in a series of combats to determine if they will be placed in a highly lucrative and competitive scourge ring run beneath the tavern, the familiar hatchet, or if for another year they will fight it out amongst the smaller rings around the town. Why, you might ask, is this important? Well, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Roll With Adventure, and the first session of our second campaign within the world of Ebris. Today, you'll meet new players, characters, locations, and the beginning of a new story that will unfold far to the south on distant Merstwall, and perhaps locations beyond even that. Don't worry, Campaign 1 isn't disappearing. I will still be running that one on a regular basis, and we will continue to record it and release it as well. As most of you know, my name is Cass, and I am the Dungeon Master for Roll With Adventure's Ragtag Bands of Heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris begins and truly takes a new turn. But before we dive right in, let's meet our new band of heroes and the players behind them. To decide the order of introduction, we'll roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. For this campaign of Salt and Blood, we are going to shake up character initiative. Instead of a dexterous or not dexterous event from the past week, we are going to expand our minds and work on our intelligence scores. Each player is going to regale us with something new and amazing they have learned this past week, which might have up to a plus two, or a situation in which they felt their intelligence was just drained away. Maybe down to a minus two. And after that, initiative will be the same as you know. So, what intelligent delight will each of you start out this campaign with? Well, I can go first. I'm going to share with you that this week I learned that there are three different ways to... Um, gosh, how do I even explain this? show wagering odds i guess there's fractional decimal and american and i have zero idea how the american and the decimal systems work for betting the fractional one is the only one that i've ever heard of where somebody says you know like the odds are three to one and that means that for every one dollar you bet you win an additional three dollars so anyway yeah I, I learned that but i'm going to take a zero because while that was an interesting thing to learn, it is not useful to me because I don't gamble. And it was only mildly interesting. I guess I'll go ahead and go next. So I learned that Nintendo actually, back when Donkey Kong was still in the arcades, they actually sued a company who did a American ripoff of Donkey Kong. I, the name escapes you for right now. Uh, I'll also take a zero because it's neither helpful, but it is interesting to know. I'll go next. I learned that birds like blueberries and it is actually quite tragic. I've been growing a blueberry bush for a little over a few months. 
I finally have ripe berries and they've just been going missing. So I kind of staked out the area, did some reconnaissance, and I learned that it is a family of cardinals who has been eating all of my berries, which were supposed to be for a pie, but not anymore. I'm actually going to take a minus one for this because even though I learned the culprits are this family of cardinals, I kind of failed at preventing it from happening again. I put like a cat statue out there because I thought it would scare the cardinals away. And it didn't. And I have like no berries left. So I am taking a minus one because it was not a smart solution. So, yeah. Hello, world. I'm going to tell you the story of how me and my wife both got our anniversary date wrong. You see, we were married on July 18th, 2015. We celebrated this thinking that our anniversary was on the 15th. We went to Chicago, had a wonderful time, ate great food, but we both looked at each other on the way back and realized, oh yeah, our anniversary is on the 18th and not the 15th. This might not be a big deal, but it is tattooed on our bodies. So I'm going to take a negative two and we'll never forget, hopefully. Do you get to celebrate twice? Nope. Oh, we, we, we just woke up the next day and said, happy anniversary. All right. actually, <laughs> we had a dinner though. It was fun. Well, well, to follow that up, I learned nothing that interesting, but I did learn a lot more than I ever needed to know about the Asian lady beetle because I'm weird and I had to look it up because I saw a TikTok anyway. They're considered one of the most invasive insects, and they were imported to America for aphid control, and they now go from most of North America. They're from Asia, and they're the ones that look like ladybugs, and everybody's like, it could be not a ladybug. It can bite. But they are now through most of North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Africa. So, you know, fun times. Wow, they hit around. Yeah, I think I'm going to take a zero for that also because it's not really helpful, but it is interesting. Are they the ones that have the more orange colored shell? Yeah, so there's like, it really, the ladybugs can also be orange. There's like a whole family of bugs that look like ladybugs because they're all related. <laughs> and um, the Asian lady bug or Asian lady beetle is usually bigger and it has an M-shaped marking on its head. That's like how you tell them apart. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Did they just exist really happily in other environments? Or did they, I don't know, compete with the other ladybugs for resources? Or are they actually a bad invasive? Yeah, they tend to be pretty aggressive. And so they tend to eat more food resources than other species. So they tend to be kind of bad. Although mostly they're known for being like a pest for people because they'll try and like break into your house and I guess they smell bad and they bite. I don't know. Oh, wow. I've never seen any of this, but apparently it happens. So it never happened to me. Yeah. I mean, or anybody really. I don't mean to be selfish. I would also like it to not happen to me. So yeah, well, yeah, me too. Yeah, there's nobody, but only during this past like spring and summer did I ever see the the like 
in between metamorphosis stage of yeah, that's ladybugs. Need to look it up. They're terrifying. Yeah, yeah, the I metamorphosis was like, terrifying. Yeah, yes, super creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, ladybugs metamorphosis. Yes, yes. The stages yeah, start out as like it's like a caterpillar, but like from hell. Yeah, because it's, it's like they covered get in spikes on leaves. They look terrifying. They're I fully down. expect them to be on Aventive actually <laughs> looking like that. Mm. <laughs> Just creepy and horrible and ready to, I don't know, mm-hmm. inject you with poison or something terrible. Caterpillar from hell. Got it. <laughs> now, let's see what you roll. Oh, yay. I got an eight. I got a three. I got a three. <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to go first. I also got a five. Oh, God. Get the bad rolls out of the way. It's fine. That's right. I got, I got a 16. I'm actually surprised. 17 minus one. <laughs> do you, Emmy, do we need to roll off? Um, yeah, I guess you so. both were a, were a plus. You both were a zero. So, yeah. yes. Oh, that's a 17. Oh, I got a 12. So, okay. Hi, um, I'm Josh Disco. You can just call me Disco. I am playing Alice, the walking, talking magic mirror, radiant Genasi. Uh, he's a druid. He looks like he is made out of glass. All right. Hey, everyone. My name's uh, Corey Ruda. I play Kalina Floros. She is a human fighter who was actually part of the Talon army in the past. Um, she's kind of a short character. She's only like five, seven, uh, and she's not really muscly. She's more of toned. And the most notable feature you know is she has a scar that runs from beneath her left eye and goes across her cheek off her face. If she is short, I am so (laughs) tired. Hello, everyone. My name is Carlos, and I'm playing Marcus Vander, a human rogue, so to speak, who was a scout in the Talent Army. He's about 6'1", and he's got black hair, brown eyes, a little pepper in that beard of his from old age for a human anyway. And he's soft-spoken. And yeah. Hi, I'm Allie, and I'm playing Maya Volta, a... What am I playing? A human cleric. She has very dark brown hair with red highlights, brown eyes, pale skin with a lot of freckles. She is also five sevens, the same height as Kalina, but relative to me, she is tall. Yeah. Uh, oh, and she's twenty four, so she's pretty young. Also, relatively speaking. Hi, everybody. I'm Emmy. I'm playing Sylvie Antaeus. She's a half-elf. She's a monk. And she is actually an inch taller than both Maya and Kalina. She's 5'8". She's a half-elf. Did I say that? I don't remember. She's got long blonde hair. Um, she's got pretty tan skin. And she she likes to stop and smell the roses. Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get started. And remember here, we roll with adventure. Our scene begins where many cliché campaigns begin. In a tavern. This tavern, named the Familiar Hatchet, 
named so for the small hatchet embedded above the door frame of its entrance, is surprisingly large for an establishment in such a small town. But when you can see past the throng of the crowd, you can see why. The majority of the space on the main floor is taken up by a fighting ring that was, until moments ago, the scene of Kalina's second fight this night. A decisive and victorious fight in Kalina's favor won by knockout instead of the best of three rounds, which was a boon, considering that Kalina's first fight earlier in the evening did not go well. She lost two rounds before she could win one, but what should have been expected? Kalina had been put up against an opponent most certainly out of her league, the current champion of the Warden, Gracilis, Castor the Kugosa Nestor, named the Kugosa to inspire fear and harken back to the local folklore of the vanished colony some 200 years in Merstwall's murky past. At the front area is a large bar where two bartenders fill the clay mugs that pass for glasses in this establishment. The almost rancid smell of the local ale fills the air from the many mugs around the room. The breath of the drinkers and the spill on the floor that has been absorbed by the scatterings of sawdust and wood chips so placed for that express purpose. The smell of the ale mixes with the dusty scent of the sawdust and the rank odor of many sweating, unwashed bodies crowded together in one room with no windows and few doors. At the back of the tavern is a counter, above which hangs a chalkboard. The man at the counter speaks rapidly and takes money from the betters who line up for the privilege of wagering what they can ill afford to lose. A second man stands on a ladder, listening to the wagers at the counter. He is engaged in a perpetual cycle of writing and erasing and writing again, showing all the odds as they change. An unobtrusive set of wooden stairs climbs up one wall, leading to a balcony that overlooks the fighting ring. The only thing marking these stairs as important are the two guards in prison livery that stand at the bottom with their arms crossed, barring entry to the balcony above. The balcony itself is hung with heavy curtains, and currently no one can be seen upon it. But once the next fight starts, if anyone can tear their eyes away from the action long enough to glance at the balcony, they would see a keen-eyed, sharp-faced woman, the warden, Gracilis, staring over the edge, watching the fighters intensely. The atmosphere around you in this tavern is festive, but tense. No musicians play, and the only jingle tonight is the cacophony of chatter, the shout of the bookmaker calling the odds, the jingle of small coins changing hands, and the jostling of clay mugs. Currently, the patrons are busy placing their bets or refilling their drinks, but soon the attention of everyone will be focused back towards the center of the tavern, and the fight they are all excited to see. Kalina. For this brief break between fights, you have returned to your corner. It is populated by Sylvie, Maya, Marcus, and Alice, your friends and housemates. The last fight, though it was won by a successful knockout, has taken a toll on you. Please give me a constitution check to see how hurt you were during this past fight. Uh, so just add my con modifier? 
Yep. Or a saving throw. Just a check. 18. Ooh. You were pretty good. What is your maximum hit points? Uh, 31. Okay. So in this last fight, you only lost six hit points. All right. So Kalina just kind of goes to the course like, ah, man, that went much easier than I thought. I mean, so are you sure you don't want to join these? Oh, don't be ridiculous, Kalina. You're much better. And that was a great fight. You won. That was amazing. It's It was perfect. Yeah, well, I still do wish I'd get in the dog of the warden. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't we all? You'll get him. You'll get him. I believe in you. I hope. Still, you should be up in this, in this too. I mean, it's the whole, the whole month's about. I, I just don't. It's too much for me. I... I don't... It's not for me. You're you're much better than I am at this sort of thing. Kalina rolls her eyes. Come on, Maya, you agree with me, right? Oh. No, I... Can't really see Sylvie doing it. I mean, she'd be great at it. But can you see her actually in the ring, the center of attention and and the aggressor? Kalina sits there and thinks for a moment. Eh, good point. But then she could just ignore everyone. Maybe it'd be easy. <laughs> How are you feeling? Eh, you got a good hit in on me. She's like uh, covering her. She's like massaging her jaw. Eh, but nothing too bad. Nothing, nothing I haven't been before. You need a little help before the next round? Oh, I'll take it. Okay. Uh, Maya closes her eyes. First of the divine, through me, your servant, show us your mercy and compassion and heal these wounds. And Maya touches Kalina on the shoulder. And under the skin where Maya touches, little motes of glowing gold appear. And the gold travels rapidly as if through Kalina's veins on the surface and works their way to wherever Kalina has been wounded. And as each golden moat expends its healing energy, it disappears until none of them are left. And I am going to... That was Cure Wounds, by the way. Um, and that is going to be 1d8. And I'm going to roll with my real dice, because they're so pretty. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a... Three... It's a seven. Seven hit points. Okay. Uh, kind of shivers. Oh, I still can't get used to that. It's pretty, though. Maya, that will never not be cool. It's so cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess Kane is pretty cool, but... And then she looks around to see, like, did anybody see what I just said? Did anybody hear what I just said? Is anybody listening? No, everybody's too engrossed in the crowd. Does Alice notice that Maya is observing the crowd? <laughs> oh, probably. She's very obvious about her, like, oh my god, I just said that out loud in a room with other people. Did anybody hear me mention how much I like Kane? Maya, don't worry. With the scent of libations being as pungent as it is in here, I doubt anyone would notice your slip of the tongue. The sin the sin of what? Thanks. Also, a lot of these people are probably too dumb to realize. <laughs> 
What's a libation? Libation, the fermented product that so many consume. <laughs> Do you mean uh, ale, beer, gal? I believe ale is a is a variant of libation. Correct. Thou hast such an inquisitive mind for fermented drinks, Marcus. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm being insulted, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm gonna go back to just, drinking here. That's just Alice. Uh, you know, he's just being. Yes, I was genuinely complimenting your appreciation of distilled liquids that are processed over a certain amount of time to cause intoxication for large crowds of people just like this. I find it to be quite um, unnerving. <laughs> I, know, I know you I know you mean well. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just uh, fighting pits always get me kind of tense a little bit. Well, then perhaps you should have some libations. Why? It's supposed to be relaxation. I, I, I haven't had... You know what? Never mind. I just have to go back to drinking, nigga. Thank you. Come on, you gotta watch some of the fights. I mean, they're interesting. Also, when's my next one supposed to start? And then Clayton kind of like just looks around and just sees if they're the next fighter's in the pit yet. The next fighter is not in the pit yet. But while this joking conversation goes back and forth, Sylvie, you hear... Place your bets. Place your bets. The next fight will be Kalina versus Hector. Yes, the one and only Hector the Breaker Evandris. You know him. You love him. Will Miss Kalina clinch her spot in the big leagues? Or will her hopes be dashed and broken like the rocks Hector smashes in the vines? So come and place your bets. Place your bets. Yes, Sylvie. This is that Hector. Lena's next fight is perhaps against the only person in all of Merstwall that she would ever call your enemy. And you have a chance to bet against him. Kalina, you have to win. You have to, you have to. I hate him. He's awful. He's so mean to me. Um, uh, I have... Um... She rifles through her pockets. I have... Um... A couple of copper. Does anybody can I borrow some Maya? Can I borrow some gold or silver? Why, Sylvia? I didn't bring any with me. Uh, probably a good choice. <laughs> Dang it! But but you never can tell. There's so many pickpockets in an area like this. Well, also, why does he have such well, a stupid name? <laughs> I honestly. Everyone has to have some fancy title here. It sounds like a medical condition of sorts, perhaps. It is named after that. Kind of like the 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 blank the blankson. What is that? Man? The blankson. Bloopson. Maybe he. I'm so, did he I'm break sorry. the rock with his head? That might make sense. Mm, definitely, I think so. Kalina, if you get into the professional leagues, what's your silly name gonna be? <laughs> Can we not talk about that again? I keep telling you I don't want one. It's inevitable and <laughs> you have to pick one. Somebody's going to pick it for you. <gasps> Can I pick it for you? Oh, me and Alice, I bet we could we could come up with the best name. She kind of like looks between to Sylvie and then to Alice and then Sylvie and then Alice. <sighs> don't make it too confusing. <laughs> Heroes don't need names. They are only called as their constituents call them. 
So, Kalina, even if you have serious trauma dealt to your face, keep your head high and don't let them see it. Did you just tell me to block punches to my head? It's good advice. Uh, Sylvie gets up and, like, darts over to where the uh, bets are being taken. Maya looks slightly like she wants to stop her from betting her last few coppers, but then it's kind of like, it's only a few coppers. Wait, wait, Maya, should we, should we let her do that? That don't seem like a good idea. What, you think? As Sylvie, <laughs> Maya looks between Kalina and Marcus like, oh God, I don't want no, to. No, no, Kalina, Kalina, I, I have great admiration for your skills. I'm, I'm more concerned for Sylvie uh, betting money away. This seems like a recipe for a long night. It's not about... Inside this. check on Marcus. <laughs> Inside check. I want to see if he's bullshit. If he's bullshitting or not. If he really thinks Kalina's going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to know anyway. Eight. Well, well, you guys are handling that. Wait, Just flip over to Sylvie. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, as Kalina is staring at Marcus, trying to figure out whether or not he really means what he says, Maya says, well, it's really not about this fight. It's about, it's about the betting in general. She, like, she loses so much of her money this way. It's not about this one. It's about breaking the pattern. But she's got to have... Uh, I mean, what else is he going to do? She's going to buy it on some random candy thing? At least here she has a chance to get more money. And a sense of pride. Uh, who would want that? Mm-hmm. I guess you're right. Sorry, Cass. Sylvie, as you close in on the betting counter, you see two things. One, that the man behind the counter looks new. Perhaps an assistant to the usual man who runs the counter. And a more familiar sight. An elderly gnome with wild white hair and a rather insane mustache wearing only a pair of patched overalls without a shirt or even shoes. He's standing up on a stool, speaking in a loud voice to the betting assistant. Yes, you heard me right. I want to place a bet. That's what we do here, right? That's your entire job. I want to bet against the moon people in the next fight. (gasps) Sir... There are no moon people. Yes, there are! The moon people are always looking down on us. They live on Tolmy, plotting our demise! They caused the bad weather, and spoiled my milk, and they gave me a boil on my left toe! You see Old Man Longstep beginning to even lift his foot up to put it on the counter and point at his toe. Oh, you know, I know exactly who you're talking about. Hector's a moon person. I I saw him talking to the moon the other night. Um, you should definitely bet for Kalina. She's going to win anyway, so. Really? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh, for sure. Absolutely. Yes, I want to bet on the moon person. Sir, please, please. In the back, you sort of see uh, a bit of a shuffle, and you see the more familiar face of the usual man that handles the betting counter. And give me a 
perception check. Perception. Fourteen. So you, you, you see him sort of like lean over and it seems like he's whispering to the assistant, but it's really loud here, so he might be sort of yelling into the guy's ear, basically going, just take his money. He does this at least once a month. At the end of the night, we give it back to him. And never, I mean never, tell him that moon people don't exist. I, I'd be happy to take your bet. Eight copper pieces against the moon, people. Uh, be sure to check back with us before you leave. Old man Longstep shoots say like, big grin with a couple missing teeth from beneath his wild mustache up at you. Sylvian goes, mm, thank you. And then he begins to saunter off muttering about the end of times and that soon the advent of the age of the moon will be upon us. The assistant, he turns back to look at you and goes, uh, how, how can I help you? Uh, would you like to place a bet for the upcoming fight? Oh, you bet I would. Um, uh, I would like to bet how many coppers do I have? All five of these coppers on Kalina because she's going to win because she's the best. Ooh, are, are, are you sure? The popular bet is against her. Yeah, well, everybody else is wrong, so. Okay, well, uh, yeah. He takes your name down. He takes the money. And everything's written down in the logbook. And he hands you a little slip back. Thanks. Come back after the fight. I sure will to get all of my money that I'm going to win because Kalina's going to win. Hopefully. He gives you a thumbs up. <laughs> and a smile that doesn't really reach his eyes. Hmm. You're not the normal guy. What'd you do? Are you just... See, you just don't know what's going on. That's why you're so in unconvinced. Whatever. She walks away. You walk away, heading back to the group. As you are heading back to the group, uh, why don't you describe what... Sylvie looks like and how she moves through the crowd. Sylvie is a half-elf. Um, she's fairly tan and she's got long, pretty light blonde hair, the typical elven ears. She's pretty, she looks strong, but she's also pretty lean. She moves pretty fluidly through the crowd. She doesn't really have any problem moving past all of the groups of people. And she kind of has a bounce in her step. She doesn't really seem too worried about anything. As you close in on your party members, will each of you please describe what your character looks like in greater detail as individuals, patrons in the bar would see you this evening? Kalina, one thing to note is that armor is not allowed in the fights. So take that into account when you give your description. Want me to just go ahead and start with that? Sure. So right now, Kalina's got kind of a white tunic with a pair of basically like fleece pants. Very loose, a little bit baggy, has a little bit of blood from uh, from the other fights on it right now. Her black hair is kind of tied back into a ponytail. Right now, she's got a red ribbon holding it up. Just in a very simple tie, nothing really too fancy. And that's kind of... She's kind of just... Um, she's 
not a very stocky fighter. She kind of dances around and right now she's kind of just dancing back and forth uh, on her feet in the ring right now, just waiting for the next guy to get in. Oh, I'm sorry. And she's also got a couple claws tied around her knuckles so that it doesn't do cause too much permanent damage to who she's punching. Carlos, why don't you describe what Marcus looks like? Well, Marcus is, uh, people would see him as a rather tallish human who has black hair with brown eyes and somewhat tan skin. He's looks very grizzled and he's got a f- few streaks of gray in his beard. He looks pretty worn. Um, he has essentially what would be considered a venturing gear, hunting gear on with a hood and cloak and pretty worn out pants and shirt. What does Alice look like? So quite contrary to the amount of excited bodies heating the space, Alice is in a very large draping gray cloak that is almost akin to a blanket with how much coverage it gives him. Almost none of his skin is visible under this cloak, which is lined in some gray fur. Little bits of wispy, thick curls of hair kind of wave out, covering his eyes. His hair is a silvery blue color, and you'd almost think he's an old man with this white hair and cloak kind of hunched a little bit. Except if you look at his hands, poking out, he kind of keeps them folded in his shy, introverted demeanor. But they are smooth as can be, not a wrinkle to them, almost unnaturally, almost to the point where his skin looks hardened, the kind of way that you describe someone with porcelain skin, but his skin does have a little bit of a blue, silvery tint to it, almost like glass if you look close enough. And he is sitting there, kind of looking down, so you can't really see his eyes behind those waves of curly, silvery blue hair. So he uh, stands around 5'11", with a little bit of a hunch, and uh, you can kind of tell that there's a slender frame under that big blanket of a cloak. So that is Alice. Yeah. What does Maya look like? So Maya is 5'7". She has very good posture. She's kind of wiry. She's not super strong. She's not weak either, I guess. And she wears her hair in Viking braids, keeps the hair out of her face, and but still kind of lets it fall down her shoulders a little bit. And the way she'd be in the crowd is kind of trying to keep apart from it near the corner of the ring where she is with her friends and While she's engaged in the conversation, she's also keeping her eyes out a little bit because she's on duty tonight providing first aid services for the fights. Thank you. And with that, as Sylvie reaches the rest of the group with Kalina back in the ring, there is a loud sound and a man reaches up, pulls himself into the ring. Hector... Evandress stands at least half a head taller than Kalina, and as his name, The Breaker, alludes to, he spends a considerable amount of time in the mines, which the muscles that ripple across his body attest to. His skin, like the majority of those in Walltown, is deeply tanned 
from spending lots of time outdoors. Though, where Kalina's is a much darker tan, his is a little bit brighter, perhaps a testament to the time that he spends in the vines. He looks down at you, Kalina, cracks his neck to the side, and gives you a sort of a half-smile. Kalina just kind of puts her fists up like in a boxing pose, just kind of smirks, then kind of moves her and more does like a, come on. I'll make sure it doesn't hurt too much. Hmm, big talk. So, for how these this fight is going to work, it is the best uh, of two out of three bouts. You're allowed healing between fights, but not between rounds. So once this fight begins, you will not be able to receive healing from your companions. How we're going to work this is you will roll initiative. It will be basically a test just between you and Hector. Then, once it has been determined who's going to go first, you will elect if you are relying on brute strength which is strength-based, or if you are relying on speed and accuracy, which would be dexterity. You will then make an attack roll, adding your strength if you are using brute power, or your dexterity if you are going for maneuverability and speed. And this will be to see if you beat the enemy's AC. AC in this fight is just 10 plus your dex mod, no armor involved. If your attack is successful, then for damage, we will actually roll a strength athletics or a dexterity acrobatics check. This does not have to be the same as what you are relying on for your attack, but this will then, on a scale of one to above 20, deal a certain amount of damage to the enemy. And it will trade back and forth. Cool. Throughout it, there will be chances for other small things to go on, perhaps to win the crowd over, or to get a one-up on your enemy. If you have a class feature or an ability that you think might be suitable, let me know about it, and we'll see if we can work it out. The only one I would question is parry. No, probably the only thing that I would think would apply to this. Okay. Well, we'll see when that comes up. There is a loud voice. People, people, the next fight is Kalina versus Hector. A man enters the ring. A familiar man. The owner of the familiar hatchet. He is dressed in an almost gaudy suit, one that appears to have been put together from scraps and end bits of various colorfully dyed pieces of fabric, with a hat that looks like it has seen better years. As he walks out between the two of you, tonight is Hector's first fight of three this month, and tonight is Kalina's last of three. This next fight will decide if Miss Kalina will make her way to the Scourge Ring. If next year 
not even next year, if this coming season, she will fight with the professionals. Hector, I expect you to be a gentleman. And Kalina, I expect you to be a lady. Keep this clean. He sort of pulls the two of you closer and goes, but I expect to see a lot of blood between you two. And he lets go. He steps back. He leans back against the edge of the ring and then climbs over it, points to a man who stands off to the side holding a very large bell. Let the fight commence. And the ungodly loud sound of a fight bell rings out. <laughs> to begin, please roll initiative. 12. Well, he only got an eight. So you do go first. So please elect, will you be relying on brute strength or speed and precision? Speed and precision. Okay. So now please make an attack roll. This attack roll will be your die roll plus your dexterity modifier because you want to go with speed and precision. Okay. 11. Okay, let me see. That will not beat his AC, but we will see what happens. Okay, so please describe how you would begin this fight, how you would throw the first blow. So Kalina would dive and weave to his right and then try and like swing with her right hand and try and knock him upside the head. Okay. And since it didn't hit, she would hit it and just like, ah, Jesus, no wonder they call you the rock breaker. Your head's a rock. He gives you an almost toothy smile. What is your AC? Uh, it's a 15. And that is without... Oh, sorry. It's a 14. Sorry. Without armor? Without okay. armor. Yeah. So with that, he you will see a left hook come swinging out, but it will just barely miss as you jerk out of the way. Your roll. <laughs> now that one's a 20. That will hit. All right, so I'll dodge, lean back as his punch is like, eh, too slow, and then kind of uppercut him with my left hand. Give me a strength athletics or dexterity acrobatics check. Acrobatics, I'm a little better at that. Wow, that's good. Uh, 20, on a, yeah, 25. Okay. You get a solid strike to him. You see blood spray. He wobbles a bit as he steps back, and then he is going to bring his hands together and try to bring them down on you. Ah, okay. That is a nat 20. So uh, he will hit. I will now roll to see what his damage would be. Okay, that, that's a more understandable. That is a 16. So he will do four damage to you as you sort of are a bit too close to him as he wavers and as he brings his hands up and brings them down you don't get out of the way just in time he maybe brings them down on your shoulder as you try and move back or she kind of like takes a step back and rubs her shoulder for a second oh god and then brings her fist back up throw another punch 
Uh, it's a 12. This time. Uh, flat 12? Yeah. Well, no, it's an 8 plus 4. Oh, just 12. So that will not hit his AC. So as you throw out that punch, he faints. But as he faints, the punch that he goes to throw out also doesn't land purchase on you. While they are trading back these blows, can I get a perception check from everyone in the party, except Kalina? Okay. <gasps> oh, that's a nat 20. I got a nat 1. Nice. <laughs> I got an 11. I'm at 26. Yeah, I think I have a 5. There's 3. I have a four. Carlos, what did Marcus get? I got 15. Okay. So Marcus and Maya, both of you see the door to the establishment open. Maya, you notice that the door opens. Marcus, it takes you a few moments, but you sort of almost feel the energy in the room change a bit as a whole bunch of people sort of press towards your group. They appear to be backing away from someone who has just recently entered the establishment. Hmm. Maya, from your position, you can see that a man in black and green robes with black hair and an extremely pale face has entered the establishment. You know him to be Lashus the Mindbreaker, one of the mages of Vesican prison. Oh, I hope Kalina doesn't see him. The tavern patrons that notice him part like a shoal of fish charged by a shark as he makes his way over to the stairs and up to the warden's balcony. You see his face briefly appear up next to the warden, as if he's whispering something into her ear, and she sits upright straight, looks at him, and they begin to seem to have a heated discussion. After a few brief moments, as the next blows are shared in the fight, the warden and her entire retinue leave the building. Something must be going on. Matt, did you see all that? I don't like it, Marcus. Something, it feels bad. Did you see the warden's face? The warden? Jesus. Maybe something's happening at the prison, but I hope whatever it is doesn't come back on us. So unusual for her to leave the fight, she's usually glued to them, trying to figure out everybody's weaknesses so her favorite can win. She didn't even leave anybody to watch for her. It's gotta be something big. Maybe a riot? Well, whatever it is, it's gonna... It's gonna be bad. Let's get out of here as soon as Kalina's fight's over. Good act. What are you two talking about? You're not watching the fight anymore. Alice. I don't, don't go there, sorry. Oh, oh, that's fine, Marcus. I, Alice, the, the warden's not watching the fight anymore. Lashes came and, and took her away. It's weird. It's not... It's yeah, not that, that is strange. The fight here is, doesn't seem to be not interesting. Yeah. It, she wouldn't normally leave. I. Anyway, we think as soon as Clean is done, we should go home as soon as possible. Keep ourselves out of trouble. And with that, Kalina, throw your next punch. Quick question. I'm assuming this is more like boxing, like I can't like 
try and take him down at the knees or anything like yeah. that? Yeah, more like boxing. Okay, cool. So Kalina, after he barely misses, she kind of like re-readies up and then this time tries to go in with her from the left since her right shoulder is kind of hurting at the moment. And let's see what she does. Oh, God. I got a nat one. Okay, so as you... Well, so I feel like your misfortune is his fortune because he got another nat 20 there. <laughs> I, I feel like you maybe step a bit, like maybe you take, it's really the wrong step. You realize as you're moving into the position that you're putting yourself wide open and a strike comes sailing in. And oh my gosh, why is he getting so high? Uh, he will deal six damage to you as his fist <laughs> Can I try and parry this one? Yeah, Somehow. go right ahead. How does your parry work? Uh, so I use one of my superiority dices, roll a d8 plus my dex modifier, and then it prevents that much damage. Excellent. All right, so let's hope for a good roll. Well, I prevent six of it. And that's what it was. So? All right, so I lean in and I clean the nose. is like, oh, crap. Then she realized that she put too much force in the punch and then... I'm assuming it comes from the right this time, like since my face yeah. is right there. So she kind of like ducks down, spins uh, kind of under it, and then like cracks herself back up and goes back into a boxing pose. She's like, oh, oh God. Okay. And then like shakes her fists, kind of trying to recenter herself. Head high, Kalina. Head high. You see her just roll her eyes. And I'm going to go try and like dash in and try and go from under him again. Uh, that one's a 14 this time. That will hit. Alrighty. And my acrobatic gives me a 16 plus 6. 22. Okay, you'll deal another 6 damage to him. Anything above a 21 will deal 6 damage in this fight. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you guys just like steer like right and just go right for straight right up at him like another basically another uppercut from the center of him as you bring it up and you uppercut into him he brings both of his fists down from the sides to like try and punch basically you in the side of your rib cages uh does an 18 hit you uh yes that will be three damage. All right. How is Galena looking? Still above half right now. Okay. A little. She, she gets hit in the cage like, oh, God. And then she like sent it back. So, oh, well, at least you're uh, all that time in the mines isn't for waste. Hmm. He growls at you and he spits a couple curses towards you, but he's never... Super insulting. <laughs> and then you hear in the background, Get him! He's one of the moon people! Oh, dear. Dear God. Clayton would definitely stop and look over in that direction. And even in the middle of the fight, you're like, what? He is going to monopolize on you looking away. And he's going to roll with advantage. And he'll get another nat 20. Um... <laughs> which which dice did you get? I the ones that you suggested. 
I am so sorry. Yeah, these are really brutal dice. I might need to have two different sets of dice that I alternate between two for this campaign. Uh, <laughs> Allie, it's all your fault. I'm so sorry. Please don't die. I don't know where it is. You will take another six damage. All right. Uh, hold on. Let me do perception. Can I do like a perception check to see if I might have seen it coming even distracted? I'll let you set the DC. Yeah, go right ahead. 12. Would I have seen it coming? No, sadly. All right, so I just take it. You said six, right? Yeah, six. All right, where's he hit me? So you probably, like, you turned your head, and he probably just, like, hold back a punch, and maybe, like, even as you started to, like, scan trying to figure out where that sound came from, another punch just came and slugged you right in the side of the face and you probably your whole body torques and turns and as it torques and turns you see old man longstep wearing only a set of overalls on the standing on a chair holding up a mug going you can get him he's a moon person <laughs> so Cleo's buddy twirls and she hits the bat the bat, the floor for a second and just gets up and then looks at him, and sh he just sees someone with straight fury. Um, and then sh she doesn't even say anything. She just goes dead silent and then, like, puts her fist back up and spits a, a little bit of blood out of the side and then wipes it off before she goes back in. And she's going to try and, like, hit, like, jackhammer him straight into the, ch in the chest. <sighs> with a 10. Good lord. <laughs> Sadly, that will not. <laughs> but he gets a 12, so he will not hit you with the second blow that with, that, with his follow-up blow. Or she like we basically like weaves under it and then like tries to hit his ribcage from the left. Uh, 11. Before you roll that, well, minus oh. that 11. <laughs> the door to the tavern is thrown open with a clatter. Something that wouldn't be unsurprising had it not been for the sentence that followed, almost screamed over the drone of chatter, drowning out the room. One sentence, a sentence many of you thought you'd never hear. The single sentence that would change everything this day. The event that would mark this day as a historic beginning. A ship has come back! A ship has come back through the mist wall! There's a stunned silence. Kalina, you notice that Hector's eyes tear away from you to look towards the direction of this proclamation. Oh, will you take advantage of your opponent's fall? Oh yeah, she's angry this time. She's just going to keep going. So for this next one, please roll with advantage. <sighs> 11. <laughs> I'm switching dice. <laughs> this one's better. 19. That will hit. And now please roll with advantage for your strength athletics or dexterity acrobatics check. All right. 25. You will slug him. You'll slug him. Where are you hitting him? Uh, it was a left coming to uh, his rib cage. Okay. So as you bring that punch that hits him in his rib cage, he's going to drop below half health. I'm going to see... 
if he falls unconscious. No, but he is temporarily stunned as the air is forced out. Roll to follow up and monopolize on this. Uh, just a straight roll? Straight. This is just a roll for another dexterity, acrobatics, or strength athletics check. Okay. Uh, ten. I switched dice, too. <laughs> Well, that's still, he's below half health, so I'm going to see if this follow-up will bring him unconscious. And he got a nat one. This will bring him down into unconsciousness. So she would finish it off. So would that have been like another hit afterwards? Yes. So her last one would have been like just a straight die that is like straight in the middle of his face. Like as hard as she could. He stumbles back, clutching at his face. And as you've been fighting, you've slowly been moving further and further towards the edge of the ring. And he stumbles back, and it looks like he's going to be buoyed up by the edge of the fight pit, but he actually falls through it, breaking that edge and collapsing down onto a table that a few patrons were sitting at, sending mugs of ale flying and shattering and adding more sound to the stunned silence that followed that proclamation. And Kalina just stands where he, like, on the ring where he fell, just looks at him and she's like, hmm. And then looks around. The, and that's when she notices it's silent and looks around to see what's going on. Cass? Yeah? When the person bursts in and makes their very startling announcement, Maya would put a hand on Alice and Marcus and kind of motion for Marcus to, you know, kind of get a hold of Sylvie and say, I don't, I don't like it. Let's stay together. I had no plans of, of leaving Maya. I wasn't going to go anywhere. I know, Alice. I just don't... I don't know what the crowd's going to do with this with this news. Let's just hang on to one another. Oh, oh my gosh. Kalina, that was amazing. You're doing amazing. Selvi. Selvi. What? 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 We need to stay together. Don't oh. to go running off. Especially to collect your... Well, but I run, but... I know, I know. I'm very proud of you. Good job. But we need a space. Did you not hear that? Well, I mean, okay. wait, it's just a boat. I don't, I mean, I guess it's been a while since any, well, okay. We just don't want you to get hurt or anything like that. Just, just stay. Mean, okay, okay. Clayton would have walked back after the silence. So. As you walk over, you see the owner of the establishment jump into the ring looks around, grabs, walks over, grabs your hand, holds it up, and goes, Tonight, we have a new contender in the Scourge Ring. In this upcoming season, we'll all see Kalina fight against many of our more professional ones. And then you hear him quietly under his breath, Hector, you're a disgrace. And just he spits to the side. Clayton smiles a little bit before she lets it fade. But I know that we had another fight scheduled for tonight. It's canceled. Everyone out. Wait, what? <laughs> Why? Why? Why are you canceling the fight? And then Clayton's like looking around, just wondering what's going on. You see people mostly in stunned. A couple of them, they like they have their mugs and they're. They, like, they down them completely, and then a couple of them start heading out. A few head over to the betting counter to square up. It seems like 
people are mostly in shock that a ship has come back. What is the party going to do as Kalina comes back to them? There doesn't seem to be a riot breaking out on hand. Okay. There's no mob. There's no stampede out of the... We're okay? You're pretty okay. Okay. Maya relaxes a little bit and lets go of Marcus and Allison says, okay. Kalina walks over to the group and's like, what, what's going on? A shit. Lena, that was amazing. You did amazing. Oh my gosh. Uh, was it good enough? Did I, did I hit him vertim enough for you? you yeah, you thanks. Tonight, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Hold on. One, one second. One, one second. Maya, what, what's going on? A ship came back through the mist wall. The governor <laughs> yeah, right. really disturbed by it, and I think we should get home. I don't want to get there? caught up in anything. Well, who started that? <laughs> the, the, I wouldn't think it was true, except the governor's reaction. Marcus, Marcus saw it too. Lashes came in and, and said something, and they all left. Uh, as you say, Lashes, Kalina, like, look, you see Kalina Dart looking, trying to look for, like, where, where, where is, where is, no, 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 he's, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone, don't worry, he's gone. Oh, okay, so, wait, the warden didn't watch me knock the, sh- knock the shit out of him, that, how that guy? No, and it was not because she was bored, your fight was very exciting. Thank you, Alice. Yeah, before we leave, can, can, can we go get my money? I won, we won, we won, Kalina, we won. I mean, I, I, I got to knock the guy out. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Although, and you see her, like, rub her, like, right ribcage, like, God, that cheap shot. You, uh, want a little more help? Oh, I would love it. That's t- And you see her. She's kind of got, like, a little bit of blood, some, like, a few bruises. Like, yeah, the, the heat got me pretty good. Marcus, do you want to go with Sylvie to collect the winnings and, and we'll wait here? Well, sure. Uh, Sylvie, you want to go right now or? Pull yeah, let's go right now. That way, I mean, they might shut everything down. They told everybody to leave, right? Um, right. I don't want them to take my money. I won't let that happen. Let's let's go do that right now, and you can collect your spoils. So you probably got, like, at least ten copper. At, at least. That's for sure. Just kind of saunter over there. As the two of you head over there, you see a small line that has formed. A few people that are getting their winnings. It seems not many people bet on Kalina as winning. There's a lot more that's been lost this night. But in front of you is a gnome with a rather splendid and crazy mustache, with white hair that goes this way and that, and a pair of patchy stained overalls. Old man Delphine Longstep looks back over his shoulder. Marcus, did you see that? Oh. She won against the bone person! Oh, I, I saw, uh, I saw you yelling too. It was quite, quite the scene you made there, uh, for sure. He gives you a smile through some teeth that aren't there anymore and others that are a bit yellow or brown in some spots. You see him collect his winnings. Rather than getting eight coins back, he's gotten a little bit of a small pile and... As Sylvie hands in hers, she's only handed back two coins, but they're gold. Whoa. Um, are you... These... These are the wrong color. I'm pretty sure... Pretty sure I only gave you copper. Oh, I think those... Those are the rat ones. Sylvie did a good job. Won a lot. 
While I don't understand why everybody was betting against Kalina, it was obvious she was going to win. She probably didn't have a fancy nickname. It always does. <laughs> That's true. You're right. We really need to get her a nickname. Maybe like Moon Person Killer. The Moon Breaker. Oh, gosh. Perfect. Kalina Moon Breaker. I want to shake her hand. Yeah, she's amazing. See, I told you she was amazing. I told you. I think she's left already. Uh, Mr. Longstep, I think she's gone. All right. Oh, that's a shame. I guess I'll go home then. You should but go home. First, I'll curse the moon. Oh, God, dear God. Mm. Okay. You have to make sure you yell really loud, otherwise, it won't hear you. Or, you know, you should not. Be quiet. Then it has to strain its hearing to hear them. Even better, you're right. I don't More damage to it. I don't think the moon has hearing. I'm just. It does. Just, you make your way back over to your group. Old man Longstep taking a circuitous route around the ring and out the door. Still talking again about that the age of the moon will be upon us soon. The moon people will come down from the sky to bring their lunar retribution. And that was, we must prepare. We must prepare ourselves to fight them. And... Your party makes its way out of the familiar hatchet. Cass, can Alice kind of like hang back on the way out? And is Hector still down or is he up? Two people have splashed him with some water or ale, probably ale to be honest. And he's sitting over in a chair. While Alice kind of passes him on the way out, hanging back from the group to say audibly to him, Hector... Did you hear what the announcer said? You are disgraced. And then he'll uh, make his way out with everyone. <laughs> Did Marcus hear that? Yeah, Did Kalina hear that? Actually, probably not, right? Yep. Probably not. I would. I think that Alice was hanging back far enough that no one in the party heard it. Heard Alice being ominous at all. Before we leave, in case we're ambushed by moon people, um, would you like to know how many hit points Kalina gets back? Yes, please. That is going to be 11 hit points. And I do exactly the same thing as last time, casting cure wounds. This time, Kalina's just like, oh, everything feels so much better. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Does Hector need look like he needs the official first aid attendant, or is he okay? Uh, he probably does need an official first aid attendant. All right. Maya will probably turn to the group and say, I'll, I'll meet you back at home. I got something I still have to do. You, you know you should stop volunteering for everything? I just, well, we make a little money. I'll do this thing, I'll collect my coins, and then, and then I'll go. Maya, we can, we can yeah, wait you, for you. You just said that you don't want us to leave you alone. I... I know, I just... I don't want to keep you here. I, uh, okay, I'll be really quick. I'll be really, really quick. Your existence is not an inconvenience, I promise. Oh, Alice, you say the sweetest things. Okay. Play by the I, it is, then we can it is just factual. Later. 
Um, Maya will hurry over to Hector, rush out a cure wounds, give him, oh no, I only rolled a one on that. That's so sad for him. He gets five hit points. Kane is a god of blood and fire and nobility and the victor. Yeah. He's really who he's a god of. So <laughs> I'm unsurprised that he would share, show his almost displeasure with you in a way, almost wasting his gifts. It's fair. The unworthy. Very, very fair. And then I will go and try to collect my coins from the owner of the familiar hatchet. Uh, you will get 15 copper and two silver. Apparently tonight's betting was quite good. Lovely. And then I will hurry out to my friends who are waiting at the door. So I forgot to ask, Does, do the fights actually give any money or was this just a placement fight? These are just, this, this three fights that you've done this month have just been placement fights determining if you move into the scourge ring or if you stay in the pits and since you're moving up into the scourge ring whereas you were in the pits last season the prizes will be either larger in terms of the winnings funds or more lucrative in the objects they will offer Whereas previously you might have been playing for a small purse, this one will be medium to sizable. As you all begin to head home, you notice that there are a few patrons and townsfolk that are out. More than you would think are normal for this time of evening. And you can see why. The pale light of Tolmi and the amethyst light of Ashta that illuminate the town around you, and the water. They fall upon a shadow, the shadow of a ship. A ship that appears to have been coming from the direction of the mist wall and will be making port soon. The next morning, Weirloom, the 26th of Talisanum, in the year 1069 PR, the denizens of Walltown are rested from their beds, some by their usual routine, others by a distinctive knocking at the door as guards go around, door by door, informing them that at dusk, the governor, a title that the warden rarely uses, will be speaking, and that attendance, except for those too ill, to leave their beds or their homes is mandatory. The first of the next few scenes, we're going to start with Maya. While Merstwall would most likely survive without trade from the mainland, life would change greatly. Commodities upon which merchants depend to draw in customers would vanish. As such, the docks can perhaps be considered the true heart of Merstwall. And while there are two separate docks, the prison dock and the fishing docks, to confuse the fishing docks for the beating heart of Merstwall would be folly. The only ships that bring goods into Merstwall are those that also bring prisoners, at least until the ship that docked last night. The ship that made it through the ever-present and overbearing 
Mistwall. The sun beats down on the few ships docked at Mistwall's only commercial dock. Even though it is still the early morning, the smell of salt and seaweed permeates through the, uh, the air. Almost overpowered by the strong scent of hot tar. Few ships visit this large dock, which is designed for Talrin's larger ocean-going vessels. Those that deliver prisoners into Merstwall's exiling embrace. Maya, you have been here many times with your employer, the owner of the Blue General Store, the half-elf Nicostratus Theodosia. Ordinarily, you and Nicostratos would be looking up at the tall wooden side of a prison ship that carries new prisoners to the solitary and inescapable prison of Vesican, located on the cliffs above these docks and Walltown in general. Usually, you would be clamoring over other merchants to purchase inventory and to ensure that what was previously ordered had been delivered. Today, the picture is different. In place of a familiar prisoner and commercial transport ship, you and Nicostratus look up at a large, battered sailing ship that looks much the worse for wear. Sailors are busily swarming over all parts of the ship, like beetles and ants. Though these make a multitude of repairs, splicing ropes, mending sails, replacing broken and missing pieces, and repairing the rigging, it appears this ship has gone through a considerable ordeal. Nicostratos seems to be looking around for something, and then makes a clearing sound in his throat, before walking the two of you towards a man sitting at a makeshift desk. As you approach, you assume this man must be the quartermaster, and you can see that the name of the ship is the Dauntless. Maya looks up at the ship and just sort of takes it in. It's I mean, she's 100% sure she is going to be asked about this ship 150 million times before the day is done. So she's taking in the details, seeing, you know, what the damage looks like, what she can see of the activity going around. And this quartermaster, is he somebody who is from the Dauntless, or is he somebody that Maya would be familiar with as somebody who's stopped? always sort of providing this interface service between the ships and the colonists on the dock. So looking at this guy, you're not actually, you're not actually sure. You've never seen him before. So probably the quartermaster of the Dauntless. And uh, while you're looking him over, you, you hear Nicostratus come over and introduce himself and the man uh, introduces himself back, saying that his name is Julian Fourfingers. As you sort of stand there, taking notes, uh, just keeping on the ready to make sure that you are there for any calculations that Nicostratus might need, Nicostratus and Julian begin to talk, and you quickly learn, quite crestfallenly, that the majority of what the ship brought back has already been purchased by the Warden. Some of it is still being offloaded from the ship. To be honest, the majority is still being offloaded from the ship, but it will be offloaded, sent over to the hoist, and sent up to the warden's residence, likely for storage. And Nick Stratus is crestfallen. He is definitely very sad to see this happen and to hear that he... 
isn't really going to be able to make a profit, get anything new. But as that conversation's going, uh, Julian does make a few mentions. Well, you know, we do have a few things left that the warden didn't buy. That the warden didn't purchase all of the, them. Let me, let, let me check my ledger. You see as he sort of flips through a ledger that on one of his hands, he really does only have four fingers. On his uh, left hand, his thumb has been removed and there's a small little stump. So Julian Four Fingers is quite apt of a name. As he's rifling through his book for the information, Maya will pat Nicostratus on the shoulder and say quietly, Nobody competes with the warden. It's fine. It's not like the yellow general store got here first. He sort of glances over his shoulder towards you and whispers, Damn right. Glad that they didn't get here first. I can at least hold that over their heads. Oh, yes. Yes. I see right here. I've got three entries. Though I still have a few things left. You see... While we were on Atzikan, we discovered that there were some trees. Trees that had these sort of mottled green and yellow conical fruits. And the fruits, utterly terrible of taste. Oh, horrible. But that doesn't stop some of the more enterprising young'uns on the ship. You see, they decided to mash him up and to see what they'd be like fermented. And they found that they were very good. They created a decent little bit of grog. Of course, it had to be taken from them as it was contraband and not allowed on the ship or part of the usual rum ration. But I do have some nuts from those trees that, and a few that the warden didn't take because they'd already sprouted could see selling these nuts or seeds perhaps might make a nice couple trees that after some time could be a good new source of alcohol for this eager little islet of yours. Another thing, and he points down to his ledger, we had a run in with some rather dangerous flora. You see, there's this, this type of flower. And we got some petals and I got some seeds and I got some roots as well. But very dangerous. I think that this might even be able to replace flint and tinder. You'll see why in a moment I'll explain. You see, this beautiful little flower, it's got these nice red and black petals, but they're sort of like false petals around another ring of smaller, deep blue, bright petals. And, and all the foliage on it, it's like this burnt orange color. Really distinct, really beautiful. Grows in whole swaths of it on Atsakan. Well, it's dangerous. Blimey, real dangerous. You see, just the slightest bit of pressure on it a breeze coming through and making it strike against itself Oof. goes up like like the driest tinder you've ever seen but the 
ain't no flint. There ain't no iron. I call them tinder petals. Of course, the captain thinks that that's a bit stupid, but I think it's going to catch on. So you see, we got some petals. Might be really good for starting fires, replacing normal tinder kits. And also got some seeds, which you might be able to, if you're very, very careful, use for growing some of these and keeping a supply continually going. Maya looks kind of appalled when she hears how easily ignited these uh, plants are. Is, is the whole continent on fire? All the time? Well, no. I don't actually know how the place isn't burning. We didn't see a lot of fires. Maybe it's only when they come in contact with people. Hmm. That's how we accidentally found it out. Some of our men, they were forging out there in the jungle, and as they were going through, they found a nice clearing, and they, they saw some game on the other side of it, and they were going to shot the game, and took it down, but as they were crossing to try and get to it, ignited the whole, whole, whole little place. Whole nice big fire raged for a bit, but rain came pretty soon and it went out, but... Sounds dangerous. Point dangerous. Yes. But I'm fairly sure that tinder petals will catch on. He gives you a little wink. And then he sort of more turns and directs this more towards you, Maya. Well, you knew, little lady, we also came across something that might be of interest to you. You see, there's this tiny little bush. It has these small shrubs with tiny green leaves that flower through delicate spikes of almost minuscule red little blossoms. Beautiful. When the winter comes going through it, you get this almost little bit of crimson dust floating in the wind. Looks absolutely beautiful. But one of our men, you see, he was also out foraging and he brushed against it and it left this nice big red blush on his arm. So I got them to cultivate some of them and get a few. And we have some roots that have been carefully packed and probably should still be continually able to grow as well as some seeds for this. And I think that if you could, say, perhaps grow a nice bigger batch of them, you might be able to take the the, 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 the dust, the red dust from it, and grind it up and make it as a nice lady's blush to add to your cheeks. I think it would be great with all the ladies here, especially the ones that like to come visit. He gives you a wink. Maya doesn't wear makeup, so she's kind of like, Oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. But she has learned much from Nicostratos of business. And so she smiles and, and says, I think that would be quite popular at the store. You see Nicostratos give you a shrewd look. He's already calculating profits. Mm-hmm. He's thinking he's probably calculating who would be the best, who he'd be able to trust so that they wouldn't sell them to the yellow general store and such that he would be able to keep a nice monopoly on the market. And he is definitely looking very interested in everything that 
uh, Julian is offering. And they begin to go back and forth discussing some things. And while they are, uh, your gaze sort of wanders a bit. And you notice standing up on the ship a boy, a young man that you recognize a bit. And as you're looking at him, you realize that this this man, this, this boy, looks like a young boy that used to be at the orphanage. Someone who was, you think, adopted out about a year ago. So maybe around the time that the Dauntless had come through Merstwall last time. Uh, and the young boy, you remember his name being Quintus, but as you're looking at him, there's there's something off. You, you can't really put your finger on it. And you, as you're sort of looking at him, can you give me a perception check? Yep. Uh, that is going to... 14. As you're looking at him, you, you sort of notice that a little bit farther back off to one side, you can see a tall, muscular man who's just looking at the boy. Uh, he's got a mean scar running down the left side of his face. Uh, nicks across his eye, but it appears that his eye wasn't damaged when he received it. And the the guy is intently watching the boy, like almost as if a, some kind of bodyguard. And you see him sort of tense a bit as the boy uh, walks near the gangplank. Hmm. Is he? How far is the boy from Maya? Maybe about. 20, 25, 30 feet. Hmm, okay, not far. Um, debating whether Maya would try to attract his attention. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's that same boy from the orphanage, right? Yeah, you are pretty sure it's the same boy from the orphanage. And as you're sort of tr- thinking about it, uh, you, you hear a woman's voice from somewhere on the ship call out to Quintus. Just calls out Quintus, and you see the boy uh, turn, and he says, coming, and he disappears. But as he turned, for a brief moment, you could have sworn that you saw his eyes, and they looked almost like pools. Pools of bluish-gray, almost glittery, mercury-like liquid, similar to the way that Alice's eyes look, but different. (laughs) Just as well I didn't interrupt Nicostratus in his business dealings. As the conversation continues, Nicostratus and Julian begin to get into the more of the bargaining stage of things. And it's as they're getting into that bargaining stage that you glance over your shoulder and you see at the far end of the dock, walking towards you, the owner of the yellow general store. Maya would tap Nicostratus on the shoulder, knowing that he probably doesn't like to be interrupted while haggling, but realizing that we're running out of time and says, we should wrap this up. We have pressing matters coming. Nicostratus like puts his hand up a bit and then 
when you say coming, he, he turns and glances and he sees the owner of the Yellow General store coming. And standing or walking with the owner of the Yellow General store is Gretchen Thornbury, perhaps one of Maya's. Ah, how do we put this? An individual that doesn't exactly like you that well, especially considering that the two of you are almost twins in appearance, despite complete lack of any kind of genetic connection. Mm -hmm. You see Nicostratus turn, and he quickly begins talking very quickly, and the price goes up a little bit, goes down a bit, and then they meet in the middle, and they slap hands and shake. And they start. he starts to say a couple different numbers to you that you begin jotting down, and he signs for it in the logbook. Perfect. And it's just as he flicks the end of the quill, signing it, that the yellow general store owner comes up behind, and the quartermaster closes the book, and Nicostratus turns with the biggest smile on his face and says, Ah, better luck next time, old boy. <laughs> and claps him on the shoulder as he begins to walk down the dock back towards Walltown. As he just whistles a bit of a jaunty tune. Excellent. Maya tucks her book under her arm and uh, quickly follows along behind him, not wanting to make eye contact or conversation with uh, the two that have just had their hopes dashed so thoroughly. As you catch up with Nicostratus, he begins talking to you, planning some ideas. He begins bouncing things off of how you might be able to, through the store, figure out how to market some of these various items. He thinks he might want to get into some kind of contract with a local distiller, perhaps for growing some of these trees and harvesting their fruits, as well as figure out a safe location for planting those tinder petal seeds. And as you're continuing along, the conversation just sort of flows and... Everything seems good, though. Behind you, the ship. It is almost a foreboding feeling in your mind. Foreboding? Most assuredly. And as you take one last glance back, your eyes sort of wander over, ta over the town, over the hoist that is bringing supplies purchases up to the prison and the warden's residence, and you begin to slowly move your eyes across, and they land on the Dauntless for a bit. Then you look at it, and you can almost feel this tightness in your chest. A little bit of fear, a little bit of something. Do you hate ships? Hate. Unless when you are on... Yeah. You've been on fishing boats. And it took Maya a long time to get used to that. Yeah. But the last ship you were on was six years ago yeah. or so. When it brought you to Merstwall. When it brought you to this prison. And, yeah. There's just an uneasy feeling. About I was just thought of all of those people on it living their lives as if it were incredibly horrible and dangerous. 
probably really throws Maya off. She would, add, I mean, there may be other, other reasons, but she would put it down to that. Her dislike of ships, of being on ships, and the idea of just thinking about being on a ship like that, or making a, a voyage somewhere as dangerous as the Mist Wall in something as horrible as a ship sounds uh, very nightmarish to her. Yeah. Well, and with that, you will eventually make your way back to the blue general store. Mm -hmm. And we'll switch scenes. Okay. Marcus, this next scene will be with you. A dream. One that has haunted you for years. Yet with each recurrence, you feel as if you live it for the first time. It draws your mind from whatever you were doing. She calls to you. Her voice is so familiar, but you can't pinpoint exactly who it is. Is it one person or many? Does it just remind you of so many people you know? Does it have the timbre of your mother? the childish pitch of Juliana, the calm and measured cadence of Maya? Does it have the emotional weight of Miranda's? Whoever's voice it is, you know you must obey it. You know you must answer her. The air is humid and hot. So humid that it is hard to fill your lungs with oxygen. Your nostrils burn with the overpowering scents of vegetation, moisture, soil, and the decay of plants and rotting wood. Your heart races. The pounding sound of blood drowning out the world around you as your sweat mixes with the blood of your wounds. She calls to you. You trudge forward, pulling your legs through the muck with wrenching squelches your clothes plastered to you with mud, grime, and blood, your blood, their blood. She calls to you. You stumble, pain lancing through you. You press your hand to your side and feel it wet with blood, your blood. You press the flat of the blade, her blade, against the wound, feeling its energy buoy you up, at least temporarily. As you trudge forward, you glance down at the blade. It feels like it belongs in your hand. An ancient blade of unparalleled craftsmanship, colored turquoise with verdigris, like the color of her, Myris, heart. She calls to you. She must be saved, just a little bit farther. You trudge forward, dragging your wounded and battered form towards her voice. Marcus. A gruff voice rings out and you feel a strong grip fall upon your shoulder, jolting you back to the familiar sights, the unwanted stench of urine, feces, and rotting flesh that marks this location as the Merswell Tannery and your friend Tulmar's abode. Tulmar stands looking at you, concern clear on his face. Marcus, are you okay? Yes, um... Yeah, um, I'm fine. Sorry about that. Tolmar. Just, uh, 
zoned off a little bit, that's all. As you answer him, you take in the sights and smells around you, rooting you back into the physical waking world. The light is harsh and bright, filtering through the open windows of the tannery. At a nearby table, an apprentice trims hides, and beside him lies a pile of discarded flesh, hooves, and horns. Some from creatures you yourself have brought down. Another apprentice, a small ways away out the door, washes trimmed hides in the river that flows peacefully past the tannery. Talmar takes his usual place beside a small fire. It appears he was working on a hide stretched tight across a wooden frame, scraping flesh and hair away from the leather before he stood up to jolt you back. The wooden frame is sturdy and well-balanced. Talmar presses firmly against the hide with his knife, using his only hand, and he rests the stump of his other on his hip for balance. Around his feet, you can see arranged various hides that have been sprinkled with urine. The hair side is rolled inwards. They are arranged around the fire to warm them, awaiting the time that they will be ready to be scraped and moved along to the next part of the tanning process. You aren't one to be caught off guard like that usually. Is the return of a ship troubling you? It certainly is troubling me. Yeah, that's... That's, uh, that's probably what it is, but, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, uh, honestly, it's not like we've ever seen before. What do you think, uh, what do you think's on it? Who's on it, I should say. Well, one of the boys ran down there earlier. He said that it looked like the ship was the Dauntless. I think it came through about a year ago. Don't say. Yeah. Stopped by, provisioned up, and headed on like a f damn fool into the mist wall. Ships have been going in there for hundreds of years, and one comes back out. They really think it. Atsakan's all that important, all that useful. It's, uh, it's hard to say. Really, it's, uh, be a whole different lot of things, I suppose, but do you, uh, do you need any help? I'm just kind of standing here with my hands in the, you know, you need help. He holds up his one good hand and he smiles at you, a sort of a half crooked smile. If I needed help from anyone that was walking by, then I wouldn't be running this place. You just stand in there. You bring me anything new? Anything good out there? You know, uh, kind of a hard time going about as late, but, uh... Yeah, I heard a rumor. Heard a rumor that a lot of the hunters around, they... saying they need to go farther afield. It's, uh, it's true. Uh, games aren't to come by normally, but... Right now, it's taking longer, and you gotta go farther for it all. But, uh, I got some rabbits. You want, want some rabbits? Ah, uh, we've got enough soft. If you bring down any of those big lizards, let me know. 
They're always, uh, always my favorite. Your conversation continues for a while. You know that he generally won't accept your help. He's a proud man. And despite only having one useful hand, he is able to do everything here. And he's been able to teach apprentices and to keep the place running. It does have a triadrian forsaken smell about it, considering that tanning utilizes some rather disgusting processes. But if you want processed leather, it's one of the sacrifices that must be made. As you continue, another hunter comes in, one that you recognize, Cassius Moore. You see him come over, he, he's walking over and he sees him and goes, Catch any good game recently, Marcus? You know, I remember having some uh, slim pickings. How about you? Even my surefire ones. He points across the river to the forest at the base of the mist wall, a place that most people consider far too dangerous to actually go and hunt. Even my traps in there, they turn up empty. It's like they're scared of something. All the animals far more spooked than usual. Thought I saw the craziest thing. What'd you... What'd you see? I was trying my hand at trapping some of the, uh, sea otters. But while I was down there checking my traps, I, I could have sworn I saw something swimming out in the water. And then it walk up onto the beach. It looked like a man, but where its head was? Something broad and flat. Like a... Like where a supporting column meets a lintel or meets a beam across the top like a, like a three-way intersection uh, well, what's what's that letter they teach in schools uh, sort of Q that a Q I don't know the letters that educate. he sort of marks in the dirt a capital T sort of looked like that where its head should be and its skin it almost looked like scales but I, I hightailed it out of there quick. Gave me the worst feeling I've ever heard had. That's, uh, that's an interesting story. Have you been, uh, I don't mean to be rude, have you been indulging yourself with some friend of mine calls it, uh, lamp, lampuscus, lampuscus, something like that. It's alcohol. It's, you've been drinking a lot. No. Ooh, fair enough. I just, uh, you talk about scale see people it kind of kind of gets one thinking sort of crosses arms barks something to uh Talmar saying that uh he also doesn't have any that he doesn't have anything to deliver today that he'll try to that he'll set some traps farther afield and that he probably won't be back for about a week after the uh warden's announcement later today Cassius I wish you luck Fred good hunting out there you too and he heads off you continue hanging around Tolmars for a while being careful to make sure you don't accidentally get anything on you because you know that Maya won't even let you in the house if you so much as smell slightly like Tolmars tannery 
and eventually you'll head out. And with that, we'll move on to our next scene. Alice, this next scene will be with you. Our next scene takes us to the bustling heart of Walltown, a place abuzz with rumor and gossip at the arrival of the ship, the Blue General Store, named so for the two sets of brightly painted blue doors that allow entrance into the two connected storefronts that make up this fine establishment. The first and most often frequented of these two storefronts is the general store itself, a large room with many shelves full of goods, with counters and tables stocked high. The second, connected through a doorway, this one without a door, leads into a rather bare storefront with wooden walls and wooden surfaces that smell of dried wood and herbs. This second storefront is a rented space utilized by locals who wish to ply their wear and trade but lack the space to do so. Alice, you lean against the counter upon which a number of neatly folded piles of laundry sit, exuding an herbal smell from the small sachets of herbs that you know Zosme Ephthemia, the old halfling laundress that rents this storefront for an hour in the morning and an hour in the late afternoon or evening, utilizes. In the morning, clients will drop off their laundry for Zosme, and when she returns to the store later, they can pick it up, or the next day. A customer has just left the store, taking home their freshly washed and laundered items. Zosme stands behind the counter in her neatly washed plain frock and white apron. Over the past while, since arriving in the storefront as you've awaited for Maya to finish her shift, Zosme has been chattering away to you with an amiable intensity. Now that he's gone, where were we? Oh yes, I remember. I heard a rumor that the captain of the ship is none other than Melva Zorander, and that the ship is the Dauntless. What was it the Dante? Maybe the debutant? The dilatant? Oh, silly me. I'm getting all the details mixed up. Zeus May, you know I am such a fan of your gossip and the words that thy put upon thy lips, but I really want to know about your secrets to transmutation, the alchemy that you perform on this clothing. It, it Let's play a game, Zeus May. Can we play a game? She looks shrewdly at you as if you are attempting to pry the most important secret of her life from her. Of course. Wonderful, Zosme. I, I, I'm, I'm so happy you're up for playing. Um, I'll tell you an arcane secret, and then you will indulge me with one of yours. Fair? Yes. All right. And I'll, and Alice will like lean in. Um. His face still not visible under, you know, this cloak, just a bit of hair coming out with a mouth. I was trapped inside of an arcane object for 800 years. And what they say is true. The temporal difference and dissonance in, 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 in timelines, it, it truly does affect the aging process. Now you. Well, I heard that Melva's nickname is Fast Fists because of her penchant for brawling with even the biggest of opponents. Or was it Fish Lips because she's bad at kissing? Young lady, 
You are full of useless information. He says with a smile. <laughs> a what? <laughs> You're such a charmer. <laughs> Can I try to eye any of the herbs that she's using <laughs> in her cauldron? Yeah, you totally can. Okay. Go right ahead. You can see that she has various sachets of herbs that are scattered around, and you can smell each of them, and you can always tell at least one or two of the herbs that are in there, but there's always at least something else that you can't. Alice will grumble in his mind, trying to figure out what is this missing ingredient of her transmutation magic. Zosme, dear... Thou canst tell me, what type of arcane deal have you made with your, 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 your transmutation is flawless. Am I picking up laundry or do I, have I given her laundry? I think that you're waiting for Maya to get off work and you might even be picking up laundry for the rest of the, the household. Alice will go through the laundry and, and point to one of the impeccably cleaned and pressed garments. And I'll say, just this one, this one right here, it 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 was covered in 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 filth and decay. And you have restored it to life. I I must know your secret. Persistence. So Smay, that is not a an a physical ingredient. It's just in the hands and the elbows. You just ah. need to get a little bit of that elbow grease into it. I have never heard. Wait, elbow grease, elbow grease, and and Alice will write write uh, write n- take a note of that ingredient in his head to try to to try to look more into elbow grease. But do you know that I heard that someone? I think it might have been the cabin boy. No, maybe it was the first mate. No, maybe it was the captain herself or the galley cook. Someone on the Dauntless has eyes like yours. Eyes that glow, but they can see straight through the mist wall. That's how they made it back. Alice, for the first time, raises his head, and his eyes are visible for the first time, and where one might expect color towards the center around his pupil, um, it almost looks like as if liquid metal was injected into his eyes and he looks up at those names true inquisitiveness uh, and he says um eyes like mine are you sure that's what i heard and they are still attached to this cabin boy right they're not like they're not in a jar or something like that whoever it is that has them they'd be people would be foolish to hurt him or try to take the eyes how else are they I'm sure that he'll have a long career going back and forth through the mist wall. I certainly hope that. But if they do take his eyes, oh no! Oh, oh no! You're you're shaking, Zosme. Just eyes. Ah, <laughs> uh, eyes. Are you are you not a fan of eyes, Zosme? I would prefer that eyes stay in their sockets. Well, but there are many practical uses for jarred eyes. I mean, I could, I could go through all of them if, if, if you would listen. Like, there's, there's. No, 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 no,
Yeah, and I guess Alice will go through the many different arcane uses for jarred eyes. As you are going through, she continues to sing to herself and another customer comes in and grabs their laundry and gives you a really weird look as you continue to list uses for eyes. Alice does not notice, does not notice at all. Zosme is singing, he thinks that, you know, oh, she's enjoying this lecture. He does not notice or try and stop. I think he'd probably go into other ligaments too, like other detached ligaments that have been used for like different uses of necromancy and... You're eventually yeah. going to get to like tails and wings, and right. all those right. fine things. Yes, yes. It continues until you eventually do stop. And she quickly launches into another rumor that she had heard that Demetria and Spiros Nikomakos, two of the most prominent members of the fishing community in Walltown, have been saying that their nets when they've been going out, when they've put their nets down and brought them back up, their nets have been cut. And mm. as if something is cutting them under the water. Curious. Mm. But that's just a rumor, of course. Right. I, Alice would take this as useless information because, you know, Zosme, your mouth is as wide as your cauldron. And there's, a, there's much that falls out of it. Um, I hope one day to learn your secrets. Oh, you flatterer, you. I am I'm not trying to flatter you by telling you the, the dimensions of your mouth as accordance to rumors, but yes, a compliment for you, Zosme. She smiles a big smile at you. And with that, we'll draw that scene to a close. The next scene will be with Kalina. There is a sad and unfortunate truth that plagues many civilizations on Ibris and other worlds beyond its bounds. And that truth is that not every child has guardians. Not every child is cared for by someone. Be they blood or be they those who simply wish to take it upon themselves to care for children. Not each child has that opportunity. And so, such children often end up abandoned on the streets. Those who are luckier, at least some would consider it luckier, end up in orphanages. Merswal, with its population generally controlled by the rate of exile, compared to the rate of death, does not necessarily see a large number of orphans. But even one is a large enough number. Even one is an injustice. Therefore, it should come as no surprise that those destined to be heroes would volunteer in various capacities at the local orphanage. Kalina, you intended to stop by this morning to check in on the orphanage to see how Anastas and the children are handling the news of the return of the ship through the mist wall. But you have been delayed. You find yourself arriving at the orphanage, instead following a break for the children to play outside in the yard. Bright sunlight streams through open windows into a small wooden room filled with a number of children, illuminating their bright and eager faces. The noise of whispered conversation and fidgeting fills the air, as they make their way to their little desks after a break playing and running around outside. You watch as Anastas, or Miss Altean, as the children refer to her, count through the children. Anders, Marcus, Petra, Anthony, Talric, you trips. She stands on a small block to make up for her slight stature, 
standing only four foot seven inches, her very long curled red hair and shrewd blue eyes only accentuate her thin frame even more. A thin frame and stature that has often led many unfortunate individuals to underestimate her and the lengths she would go for the children of the Walltown Orphanage. As she continues to count down the list, you notice that all the desks are filled except one. It seems that as you notice this, Anastas calls out, Sybil. Before there is a pause, and another child says, I didn't see Sybil come in. Anastas's blue eyes flicker in your direction, Kalina. Would you be able to look for Sybil? I need to get on with this afternoon's lesson. Of course. Um, any idea where... He was at last? She looks at the children. Any of you know where he might have went? She, one of the older children, replies to you. Oh, sorry. She so many of you. wanders. You sound a little upset about that. She rolls her eyes at you. They're just kids. They gotta have a little fun. She stretches up. Where were they playing last? It helped start there. Another one of the kids. I saw her out in the yard over over by the gate. And I clearly looks over the direction. Does the gate look open? Oh, so you're currently inside the building. Oh, sorry. Need to go outside. <laughs> All right, I'll start there. Yell if you find anything else, guys. Uh, I'll be right back. And she like drops off uh, to an office. Like here, here's some some of the plants from our garden. You can. Thank Maya for that, and then some assortment of random clothes that Alice might have made previous night, and see if any of them can fit into these. We'll bring some more when we can. Thank you. After you find... After you find Sybil, uh, can you bring in the donation box from outside? I, I, I wasn't able to get it in earlier, but please find Sybil first. Sure, I'll get on my way back in. I'll be right back. And I start... She starts walking outside. The yard of the orphanage is quiet. The scent of hot dirt and the flowering shrubs that grow all over the island wafts in the breeze. As you look around, you note that one of the gates to the orphanage hangs slightly open, creaking in the breeze. <sighs> Man, they really should make sure these things look better. Kalina uh, will walk over to it and kind of like push it open and look around, see if she can see anything. Give me a perception check. Four. You look around. You don't really see anything. You do a full circuit of the place. And then as you come back to the same spot that you started at the beginning, this taking a full 20 minutes of your time as you carefully looked and followed up on the leads, you notice that there's a small set of footprints actually that leave out through this gate that look pretty recent heading towards the ocean. <sighs> of course, she'd want to see the water, and I, she follows them, starts following the footsteps, trying to make sure she sees them as she's not very good at tracking, but she's trying to make sure she can see whatever little footsteps she can. As you weave your way through the buildings, the beach at the Bay of Walltown comes into focus. It is made up of coarse, rocky sand and rounded pebbles, beaten by the crash of waves. As you make your way across them, you can feel the heat radiating up through the dark stones, baked by the sun. 
standing just at the edge of the water, where the ocean spray catches her toes, is a small girl in the coarse linen dress of the orphanage. Likely one done by Alice. Her hair is messy. It pulls this way and that by the twisting sea breeze, and she stares out towards the ship that has returned from Atsikin. Sybil. And she's like walking walk closer and yelling her name as she walks towards her. Sybil does not look towards you. Huh. She takes glances at the sh- uh, at the ship. Nothing so special about a ship. And walk and continues on until she gets up to her and then like grabs her shoulders like, hey! Hey, kiddo. As you go to grab her shoulder, you hear Sybil saying under her breath, It shall be then when prey kills predator. The shackled ones shall usher the advent of fate and the rise of what was forgotten. And then your hand touches her shoulder and she screams. Like a blood curdling scream? Like you just terrified a little girl. Hey, 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 it's okay. Are you all right? How did I get down here? I was gonna ask you that. You kind of wandered out. What were you looking at the ship for? He don't remember. You don't remember what? She like kneels down to kind of get eye level with her. Are you okay? She just latches onto you, wrapping her arms around your shoulders and clings to you. Kalina picks her up and kind of like just starts rubbing. It's okay. It's okay. And then starts walking back. He's like, want to tell me about your adventure? He don't remember. He don't remember. What's the last thing you remember? I was playing by the gate. And then? You woke me up here. Kalina kind of like stops. You, you don't remember walking through the town to the beach? I know I'm not meant to. We are only meant to go out if we are supervised. I wouldn't want Mr. Miss Altean to be angry with me. I'll handle her. She's going to be angry with me. Eh, don't worry about it. I'll handle her. She's... I can be persuasive. And she, like, kind of just tries to smile and is like, it'll be all right. And then just starts back walking and kind of just starts taking a peek over the beach to see if she sees anything unusual. You don't. But you make your way back the orphanage and as you bring her back in Anastas cries out Sybil where did you find her oh she was just back behind the gate uh, I guess she didn't hear you guys come in or something and like sets Sybil down and just like ruffles her hair a little bit like alright next time don't go so far go back Anastas gives you a look of like she couldn't have just been behind the gate, either that or you didn't even go looking for her. But she doesn't say anything or cause a scene in front of the kids. Before you go, could you uh, go to the front and bring in the donation box? Well, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. Can you walk away for a sec? Do you have a time to spare? Got to ask uh, a question. I, I, I need to keep the lesson going. Okay. And then Kalina just kind of walks and... Walks outside and checks the donation box, see if it's been tampered with. So as you check the donation box, it is open and it's empty. 
So it's a sad day for the orphanage. Does it look like someone forced it open later, or can I not tell? Oh no, it doesn't look like anyone forced it open. It just looks like maybe no one's donated in the past couple days, however long it's been out. Or someone stole from it. Doesn't have really a good lock. <sighs> I should really make this better. Kalina kind of takes a look. Is there anyone around? Give me a perception check. Twelve. Give me two wisdom saving throws. This is a wisdom saving throw at disadvantage. Six. So as you look around, you suddenly get this extreme sense of vertigo and deja vu. And then as you steady yourself, you sort of look, you're looking back towards the box. You see that there is now a small cloth pouch in the bottom of the box that looks like it is filled with coins. Um, Kalina uh, grabs the pouch and kind of like tries to dump the coins like may get loose change inside of the box. It's a smattering of some copper, some silver, and there's even a gold or two. A very good donation for the orphanage. Kalina kind of flips the bag over. Is there any, like, any identifying markers or anything, or is it just... A- just plain. Thank you. And then she takes uh, ten silver and from her pockets and adds it to the box and then closes it and picks it up and walks inside. Goes to, oh god, what's her name? Anastas? Yep. That's her Anastas. Like, uh, and as she's going through, she's like jingling it, making it loud. So I was like, hey guys, look at that. Look at this. You had a pretty good haul yesterday. She looks happy, and some of the kids look excited. Maybe they'll be able, maybe they'll be enough that they'll be able to get some treats. And with that, we'll draw this scene to a close. And we'll move on to Sylvie. Sylvie. You sit on a small stool in a small room illuminated by a correspondingly small open window. The scent of the sea, sharp spices, dusty earth, and bitter medicines mix bittersweet in your nostrils, reminding you of the many stages of your life, from Cleo's hut to the Temple of Ashen. The room you sit in is clearly designed for function over form. A large counter dominates one wall and is covered in various containers, tools, and more than one mortar and pestle. Under the counter is a cot with a pillow and neatly folded blanket. And on the other side of the room, a set of wooden shelves filled to the brim with baskets and boxes, each neatly labeled in a spidery and delicate script. From the ceiling hang bundles of herbs, flowers, roots, and other vegetation that are drying. Your best friend, Lena Summers, stands at the counter, carefully measuring different dried plants into the mortar. The pestle lays idly by, waiting to be useful once again. As she works, she brushes a strand of her hair out of her face absentmindedly and in fluid motion, almost as if she had not paused at all. She continues to measure the ingredients for the condition she is preparing. Lena doesn't even look up from her work as she says, Sylvie, can you hand me the bottle of redwood sap? It should be on the third shelf, five down, in the basket with pickled thistle heads and honeycomb. Oh, yeah, of course, no problem. Um, one, two, three. She rummages through... The box. Uh, is it this one? It looks pretty red. 
uh, turn it on its side if it takes about uh, a few moments before it begins to move, then yes. Sylvie turns it on its side. Uh, it takes a while before it moves. It's the viscous, slow-moving redwood sap that comes from the local redwood trees that have been used generally in quite a bit of construction across Merstwall, but unlike other wood that is cut down and transported back to Talren, isn't really transported away from Merstwall because of its distinctive red coloring and the connotations of red and the god Cain, who is not officially worshipped in the country of Talren. Oh, here you go. I got it. It's definitely this one. Thank you. What is you so off balance today, Sylvie? I haven't seen you this worked up since the day Hector insulted your mother. Oh, yeah. and how did Kalina's fight go last night? I'm sorry I missed it. Petra had another fit and I didn't want to leave her alone. Oh, it's okay. Kalina was amazing. It was amazing. She beat him. He, I mean, it was great, honestly. Um, I, I don't know. Did you hear about the ship? It's... I mean, it's insane. I, has anything like this ever happened? Not in as long as I've been here. Uh, Petra sometimes talks about the old days. She's been here for a really forever. long time. Yeah, she's been here forever. But yeah, I, I've, I've only ever heard stories of, I think it was about 200 years ago that a ship came back through the mist wall. 200 years is a long time. I I don't know. It just, everything feels off. I don't know. Maybe it is just the ship, but it, it feels like more than that. I, I don't know. The whole forest, everything kind of, it just, I don't know. It feels like right before a storm, you know? Like you know it's going to happen, but you don't know when. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think I know what you mean. It's, it's like there's this weight, this, this pressure that's building. And I, we don't know how it's going to end. Yeah, exactly. I guess we'll find out something from the warden's speech tonight. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad that when the guards came, they said that Petra didn't have to go so long as I went and made sure to tell her everything that goes on. I'm... I, I'm really worried about it, though. Petra said something about... Years ago, they used to do a lottery and they'd, they'd try to send ships through the mist wall. They, they haven't done it lately, but... What if they will reinstitute that? Like, they just pick people at random? Yeah. That sounds awful. I... I mean, do you think they... Could? I mean... Is there anyone that could stop the warden? <sighs> no, I guess not. Not here, at least. It's not like any of us can even send letters back to Talren. Not like anyone would listen to us if we could. No. And, and, if we, and if we ever did anything to the warden, if anyone ever actually overthrew her or took over the prison, the next ship would just have double the soldiers. And it would be even worse. Yeah, remember the riot a couple of years ago? It, that didn't go well. 
No. So many people died. Yeah. I, well, I'm scared. It'll be fine, I'm sure. I mean, what's the worst? I mean, we'll be okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. The afternoon progresses. As you and Lena talk back and forth, she continues to work on various things until you start to feel a bit of a grumble in your stomach. And you probably should maybe head out, grab something to grab a bite, and meet up with your housemates before heading off to the warden's announcement. Oh, I I, I guess I better go. It's getting late. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't... I, I just, I lost track of time. I... Mm. Have a good day. I'll, I'll I'll see you at the warden's announcement. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I'm sure we'll see everybody there. I guess it's required, huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm. And as you head out, uh, based off the make of how the house is arranged that Lena shares with Petra, you know that you have to pass by one of Petra's sitting rooms. And when you'd come in earlier in the day, Petra had been snoring away softly. But as you're heading by, you hear a feeble old woman's voice that you recognize as Petra's. Lena, is that you? Oh, oh, Petra, no, it's it's me, Sylvie. Oh, Sylvie, I heard your voice earlier. You two girls must have been having fun up there. Yeah, we we always have fun when we're when we're together. You were asleep when I came in. I would have said hi. Would you like some tea? Oh, um, yeah, that'd be great. Um, as you go into Petra's sitting room, it smells of floral herbal tea, a scent that you, funnily enough, recognize as the last tea that you brought Petra. You can see that a small pot boils away at the hearth, and two clay drinking jars sit on a small table near the fire, between two well-worn wooden rocking chairs with comfortable cushions. The rocking chair on the left is occupied by an elderly human woman. Petra sits comfortably. She breathes softly, though she looks more tired than usual. A frown creases her worn brow as she looks towards you as if something is troubling her. As you take your seat, she asks, Could you please pour the tea? I'd get up, but I feel quite a chill. Yeah, of course, no problem. Sylvie gets up and starts preparing the tea for both of them. She knows how Petra likes her tea. Did you hear that a ship came back through the mist? Long ago, when the Republic thought they had a better chance of reaching Atsikin. They often sent large groups of colonists. Many were taken from Mirstwall. The last time this happened, it depopulated the colony by almost half. It was a blow that took the colony years to repair. Tore families apart. I can't imagine. Do you think think they might send people through again? If they have more assurances that they can get there. I would be very surprised if they didn't. What do you think's on the other side? I mean, I know there's something, but does anybody really know? I guess the ship that came back knows, but... If we go by the ship that came back 200 years ago, it's a continent that they dubbed Atsakan. A 
place of wonder, with trees that grow taller than anywhere within the Oscar Woods sea, with flowers larger than life, and animals, plants, wild and untamed, resources rich, and land, land that the Republic so desperately needs to continue expanding. Sully hands Petra her tea and sits back down. You, you're young. If you go, I'm sure you'll survive. But if I go, if I'm picked, I'm sure they'll simply be sending me off to die. They, they, they wouldn't pull you out of your home, right? It doesn't even make sense. It would, shouldn't. I built this home. I built it with my bare hands. I built it for Siandra and I. You know, Sylvie, that Siandra was Petra's wife. And Petra never talks about her. Uh, you, you don't actually know how Siandra died. The house is beautiful. I can see the love that you put into it. It's a work of art, really. It's... it's all I have left of her. All I have left of her after that murderer took her. Murderer? Was almost 70 years ago. Almost the day. Siandra. She was a healer, but she mostly tended to animals. She was on the way home from the far pasture, where she'd been helping with some sheep that had fallen ill. She was attacked. I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. But we got him. We got that sick son of a bitch that murdered her. And you see her hands like they're shaking, and some of the tea begins to spill, and she begins to talk faster and more agitated, and then she begins to cough, as if she's having some kind of perhaps like an asthma attack. You've seen this before, and you know that Lena has medicine to, and that like. They try to keep Petra as calm as possible. Sylvie so would probably rush out of the room and go grab Lena. Oh, it's Petra. She's having another fit. I'm sorry. I. Lena just basically like stops immediately what she's doing, grabs a small satchel and races out the door. And as you're running down with following at Lena's heels, you hear Petra almost screaming, saying, Curse you, Aleki. Curse you. I saw your feet dangle. Why wouldn't it burn? And Lena starts to get some. She gets a, a couple herbs and a small mixture, and she gets Petra to breathe it in, and to, she puts some into the tea and gets her to start drinking that, and she, uh, Lena sort of just motions for you that uh, she, she has she has the situation in hand and that she that you should probably go. Sorry, I... Okay. Uh, bye. And Sylvie leaves, probably pretty quietly. A few hours later, the sun's rays beat down on a small crowd as it begins to gather in preparation for the governor's announcement. Many are arriving early to get a good view, perhaps to be able to hear or 
out of fear of punishment if they are late. The smell of hay wafts through the air from the nearby farms. A much better smell than when the wind shifts in an unfortunate direction, allowing the stench of the tanneries to pass over the town. The town square in which everyone gathers is where the two main rows converge in a rough X shape. The square is surrounded by shops that have been closed for this ominous and extraordinary occasion. To the north is the town's largest fish merchant, which sells freshly caught fish late in the day. To the east is the town's finest cooper, with many barrels stacked in the yard in front of their shop. To the west is the town's oldest blacksmith, and to the south is the most prominent building in the town square, the Colony Guardhouse. Though the guards are no longer such an anathema to the people here in the colony, there is still a noticeable space around the house where none have wanted to set up shop or build homes in such close proximity. In front of the guard, Colony Guardhouse is a small wooden platform that has been erected to give the governor some height for her speech. As the sun dips towards the horizon, the crowd grows larger, waiting for the historical announcement. Already this crowd, though not yet grown to its full size, is broken into small groups of colonists discussing various topics. Some groups, loud and boisterous, trade rumor and discuss the recently arrived ship with excitement. Other groups, meek and almost furtive, trade different rumors in hushed whispers and discuss the potential true intent of the governor's meeting. Other groups fall somewhere in between, discussing their work, discussing mutual friends, speculating even on the crops for the year and such. Where does your group stand? And what do you discuss? Most of you haven't seen each other You've been kept apart and quite busy by your errands or work. And this is the first time that you're able to gather all as a group. Everyone's whispering and talking and gossiping and everyone I think will look strange if we are not also whispering and gossiping. So perhaps we should pretend to or blend in a little bit better? Maya smiles at Alice and says, well, I don't know about gossip, but I did see something interesting today. Interesting? Like, like what? Well, I was, I was down at the dock with Nicostratos, arranging to buy some of the wares that came back from Atsican, but what I wanted to tell all of you is that I saw Quintus. From, you, you remember him. He was the, he's an orphan and, and we haven't seen him in about a year. I thought that somebody adopted him. I don't know if any of you remember who adopted him. I don't remember, but he was on the ship. His eyes looked different than than they did, but I'm sure it was him. It was, it was definitely Quintus. Did did you say something about eyes? Yes, his his eyes looked a little different. I I was too far away to really be able to tell, but there was definitely something different. About these eyes were in his head, correct? Maya looks a little bit concerned and says, Absolutely, they were definitely in his head. Why wouldn't they be? Well, where else can you keep eyes? Well, I, I would tell you, but Zosme's mouth was heavy with words today, and she mentioned something about 
a cabin boy with eyes like mine, and she said that he could see through the mist and he would have a great career. Perhaps those were the eyes that she was speaking of. A genasi? Do you think that he's a genasi? Well, can you see through the mist? Can I look over at the mist and can I see through it? (laughs) The mist is still the same as it has always been. Implacable and most assuredly very obscuring. The mist is as dense as it has always been. It is very obscuring. Uh, Alice is like trying really hard to focus with his eyes at the mist. Almost to the point where like you can see him straining. Reveal your secrets to me, Mist, as he, like, mumbles to himself. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just Mist. It's not a person. Can't talk to it. That does not mean I will not try. Different people have different abilities, so maybe. I mean, Alice has some interesting things that they can do. Maybe if Quinta is a Genasi, maybe they can do... Maybe they can sit through the Mist. But what's the chance that that's actually true? I mean, you just think... There'd be more than one in, like, how long was the last? How many ships have gone through? This is the first one I've ever heard of. Petra said that the last ship to come back through the mist was at least 200 years ago. I talked to her today. She also said they used to do lotteries to pick people to just go through the mist and hope for the best. Oh, no. Kalina, Kalina's eye kind of, like, goes to quizzes like, uh, how long ago was the last one? As Kalina asks that, the door to the colony guardhouse opens and a hush falls over the crowd, so suddenly that it is as if someone had cast silence. But no spell has been cast. It is merely the fear of the sight of the woman emerging from the building, invoked in each and every colonist. And, if it is possible, the even greater fear they have of the man who emerges behind her. The governor walks the short distance from the guardhouse to the platform, followed closely by Lashes. Kalina tries to, like, sink down into the crowd. Kalina, hold your head high. Uh, No, no, not around him. I don't want him to look at me. He has no power here, Kalina. Do not be afraid. That's what I thought in the prison. Marcus is not super happy. He's also very concerned and just kind of glances down. Not trying to look up. The governor pulls a necklace with a large gold pendant from her pocket. Though none have seen it used in the colony, Each is familiar with the object from their time in the prison. The governor and several of the higher-ranking guards and mages carry identical medallions that, when worn, amplify their voice. There will be no one here who can claim they did not hear what she said. Good citizens of Walltown, tonight I speak to you not as the warden of Vesican, but as the governor of Mirstwall. Last night, after a year on its mission to pierce the Mistwall and chart the northern edge of fabled Atsakan, the Dauntless and its brave crew, led by Captain Melva Zorander, has returned. 
with a splendor of riches and first-hand accounts that solidify my resolve to form a colony on Atsakin's fabled shores. Shores that are now, most assuredly, within our reach. An uneasy murmur passes through the crowd. I hear the concern in your voices, that it was simply chance, happenstance, that the Dauntless returned. But this is not true. The Dauntless brings with it charts, charts with which an entire fleet can be sent through the Mistwall to Atsakin. Comments of polite interest in the charts seem to almost pass through the crowd. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sure they'll be very useful. Oh, yes. Ah, uh, aha! Long has Walltown stood on the island of Merswall. First, as a colony established by the first Talren expeditionary fleet. And then, as the colony it is to this very day. But it has always been more than that. It is a place for those who could not better themselves amongst the good citizens of Talren. A place to become better. It is a place where your past does not need to define you. And so, it brings me great joy to pave the way for greater growth and change. To give each of you a glorious purpose to pave the way forward for this most glorious of purposes. She reaches out a hand, and Luscious hands her a scroll. She begins to unravel it. I decree, under the laws and power of the Senate of the Grand Republic of Talren, the power so invested in me as governor of Merstwall, of this colony, that by random lottery, 100 citizens shall be selected and sent on board the Dauntless to return to the shores of Atsakin to prepare a landing site for our colony. Next year, following the storm season, a further 400 citizens shall be selected by lottery and sent. Those first 100 shall pave the way for our glorious destiny. We shall conquer Atsakan in the name of the Grand Republic. Throughout, like at the beginning when Lashes showed up um, and Marcus reacted, Maya would have moved a little bit closer to him, kind of just, just enough that their arms were touching so that he'd know that she's there. But throughout the speech, she's probably been moving closer and closer until there's a constant pressure against his side and at the end when she says that she's going to use a random lottery to assign people to this i don't know deadly mission she's gonna grab marcus's hand hey kalina as the as she keeps on with her speech instead of hiding she gets up crosses her arms and grows visibly more angry especially when she mentions for the grand army of Tauran. Marcus will feel the hand and he'll turn and kind of smile and just say, it's all, that's all right. It'll be fine. I'm not sure how it will be, but I think we got a good group going here. So I think no matter what happens, well, we'll be good. Maya tries to smile, but is, you know, only marginally successful. 
As shock runs through the crowd, the governor continues. She speaks of supplies being sent and requisitioned, that any sacrifice that must be made is for the glory of the Republic of Talren. But a most interesting fact that she raises is one that should the colony survive for five years, that all citizens who have toiled to establish it will be granted full pardons and reinstated as citizens of the Republic, no longer exiled convicts. The silence that follows that announcement is stunning. The only sound heard through it is the staccato beat of four guards' shoes as they carry a metal contraption, a table, and a chair from the guardhouse up and onto the stage. The warden reaches into the contraption and pulls out slip after slip after slip of paper. Each name is read out and noted in a log by a guard, documenting it publicly for all to hear, for the list that will be posted in the town square by tomorrow morning. Many names are familiar, some friendly, some not. The first familiar name that you hear after a while is Marcus's. A few more names later, you hear Ulrich Hode, a gentle giant you know often helps with construction of new homes for those recently granted colonist status. Followed closely by Lena Summers, Sylvie's friend, and Tolmar Mist, the owner of Walltown's tannery. Then Sylvie's name is drawn from the lottery, followed by Erastos, Plutarchos, and Katrin Joska. Though husband and wife, the fact that their names were drawn in such close succession raises some concerns that is silenced with a mere turn and look from Lachis. You are shocked to hear Delfling Longstep, the ancient gnome conspiracy theorist that almost everyone in Walltown has helped over the years, is called. But as you reel from that, you are horrified to hear Vanessa Hallingsford. Then, Kalina's name. Your anxiety rises amongst your group as you realize you are nearing 100 names, and it looks like your party will be separated. Then the 90th name, Ambrose Theodosia, husband of Nicostratus Theodosia, owner of the Blue General Store and Maya's employer, is called. A wail goes up from Nicostratus. The 98th name, Alice. The 99th name, Silas, Themistocles, Michalakos, a local carpenter you all know. Small tears run down the faces of many couples, with wails and curses thick through the air. The expressions of those selected range from stunned to unbelieving to masks of steely resolve, as if to perhaps dare the very world to throw your worst at me. I will survive. 
but each of you can't really focus enough to decide what will come of this. Because the 100th name is Hector Evandris, it seems that Maya will not be going with you. And that is where we'll end tonight's session. listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description. I'm going to do a reading of some poetry from my test. Um, who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who? Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who? Feels weird not having Brian to do the. Yeah, so we're we're gonna pause just for a moment because my computer decided it wanted to do a forced restart. Oh, that's <laughs> incredibly beautiful. Beautiful. It was as Ebby was just starting, and my computer was like, oh, "We're gonna do a forced restart." <laughs> Yeah, I, I just were trying really hard to make it. They uh, really, yeah, yeah. Cass's dice really wanted you to lose too. Seriously. Yeah, uh, these dice are pretty good, uh, but I'm also <laughs> I've, I've been rolling them off to the side, and I have been getting a whole bunch of ones. So long as I don't say I'm attacking you, <laughs> I'm gonna attack Sylvie. Oh, that's only a twelve. I'm gonna attack Kalina. Oh, that's a nineteen. <laughs> I'm gonna attack Marcus. Oh, that's a seventeen. I'm gonna attack Maya. That's a that's another twelve. I'm gonna attack Alice. That's a four. <laughs> yeah, my these dice I've used in every campaign, so they've been pretty good. But that's just like, oh, gonna get below ten. I'm gonna get below ten. Like, come on, come on, dice. It happens. It's time for a smuggle hunt. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. They won't notice. Yeah. There's a hundred of us. It'll be fine. Oh my god! It's so <laughs> sweet. If if time we kill somebody, gives a damn shit. We'll always walk in a square, and a mile will be in the middle. She'll just have to crouch a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, long step, old man. <laughs> You're getting off, Steve. <laughs> we just mire up like old man lockstep, and we start <laughs> Maya trying to get this mannerisms down and. Very good, Maya. <laughs> you, you gotta do more oomph. It's the lone invite. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta act like there's like capital letters and uppercase. Yeah, that's it. You gotta raise your hands up like you're holding up. The bone No, Larry, you just scared the shit me. What? Man, that was so good. That was so that was good. <laughs> Well, well, yeah. nausea ensues. Yeah. Mm-hmm.